Hi, this is Esther Odia from Bible Study Buddy. Welcome to the fourth and final edition of the Bible Study Foundational Series. Um, it's been the most humbling four weeks of my life and I have been so excited by the testimonies and feedback and just the, you know, progress that a lot of people have made in the past weeks, um, you know, in their study journeys. Um, in this fourth part, um, we'll be talking about a very, very essential conversation, which is questioning and having conversations with the spirit behind the text. Um, so I really hope that it will be very helpful to you. I'm looking forward to your questions. If you have any, I'm looking forward to your feedbacks and your testimony. And I'm so, so, so excited that you're here once again so welcome to the family have an amazing time and one more thing the session turned out to be longer than expected so we split it into various parts and i really hope that it won't be too stressful for you if you have anything that is that might seem very confusing please feel free to leave an email um, love you very much bye Today, we're going to talk about something that is very, very, very fundamental, something that actually even opens us up to all these things, to, you know, cultural context, stringing pearls, um, law of first mention, all these things are embedded in this particular, um, you know, factor which is asking questions. It's very, very foundational. It's an art. Um, you know why it's described as an art? It's just like cooking. The more you cook a particular meal, the, um, the better you become at doing that. Literally, that's what questioning is like. Questioning is an art. The more you ask the Lord to lead you into asking key fundamental, essential question, the better you become at deciphering things that are in text that are not written in plain sight. So you might be reading about a blue mug and a blue mug seems normal. You know it, you know what a blue mug is about. But then when you start asking questions like, why is the blue mug here? Before I even go too far, what is a mug? What does a mug look like? What is a mug made from? You know, why is a mug being mentioned in this particular text? What is the essence or the benefit of this color? Is there any, is there anything, you know, that I should take note of by looking at this color? You know, all these questions, what they start to do is that they start to open your mind, right? To seeing things that you would typically not pay mind to and understanding things that on a normal day will not make any sense to you. So, um, with this particular conversation, we're going to look at a, a text in scripture, which is from the book of Mark, chapter 12. We'll just go straight into this if you're there. I'll just really ask if anybody could read for read from verse 12. Can I? Yes, please. Okay. The religious leaders, I'm reading from NLT. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were wicked. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. 
you teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, this is verse 17 now. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Should I go ahead? No, let's, let's take a break there. Okay. So, um, how many people have read this before? How many people have read it before? Okay. Okay, Sumi, Sumi has read it. So Sumi obviously went to Bible school. Awesome. Bible school, Sunday school. Okay, so the rest of you, they threw you from where? Um, Iran. Okay, hi, Emma. <laughs> okay. And you kind of was wondering, you know, you're not supposed to be Sunday school teacher. It was, you read it all the way, all the way from Benin. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no. okay. No. Alicia. Okay, amazing. So we've read this story before, right? Um, did we have you ever actually <laughs> I think I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to have you actually ever wondered if this narrative if there was anything special about it? Did you ever ask questions about about this this story? It was just a story to you. Does anybody ever ask questions about this narrative? Kendi? Okay. Kendi, what kind of questions were you asking? Okay, please can you hear me? Yes. Um, okay, my question in this place, when, when I, when I read it, first of all, I've been reading this verse and then many pastors like from church has been also been preaching on this part. Well, my question is, mm. why did people ask Jesus that question when they knew that he was going to answer them? That when, they, when they knew that he was not going to answer them in the way they wanted to, like they had an idea that okay, this, this is the question they are showing at Jesus. Like they were trying to see how good Jesus would answer the question for them, mm-hmm. but they knew that Jesus was not going to answer it the way they wanted. So they were just like trying to try him. So I was just that was that was like one of the first question I asked in that case and then mm. the way Jesus answered the question give to God what belongs to God so is it that I wasn't like mm. Caesar and God is there a disparity between Caesar and God so those two questions were basic questions I asked or I asked myself and um, I've not really gotten an answer mm. to you but yeah that's it okay so I'm going to throw you on that bus a, a bit <laughs> I'm so sorry, but when oh you asked God. the question, is there a disparity between Jesus and God? Oh what did you do? You went back to bed and you're like, anyways, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Since there's nobody God, else, you, let me just eat yes. chips and watch film. <laughs> God, I'm okay. <laughs> okay, so you asked the question, but you didn't actively ask the question. Yes, yes. Okay. So that's, that's one way. That's a way we actually ask questions. Sometimes we ask questions, but 
I mean, God is in heaven. Yeah, I'm here. No answer, but let's not just shall look like I did not ask. Anyone else with any question? Have you ever asked any question when you're doing a study on this? I, I have like a question. You. Um, and then, okay. Um, what exactly would have been the trap? Like, what, what could Jesus have said? What were they expecting to say that would, ha- that would have trapped him? Why did they think that he would have said something that would um, that would have equated like not paying your taxes so like they could then arrest him? Why? Okay. Um, Naya, what's your question, Florence? But my question was, um, why? What? Okay, if Jesus said, "Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God," so what would he have? What would he have said that belongs to God at that time that he can say, "Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, this is what." By giving to God that belongs to God. Because it's like, it's not a very elaborate answer. Yes. So your question is, what did he mean when he said, or when he asked, or when he said, give to God what belongs to God? Yeah. Okay. Please, hope you're writing down some of these questions. Yes, Florence. Okay, so my question is, um, the part where they asked, or where they said, we know thou art true and careth for no man, and for that regarded not the person of men. So I was just trying yeah. to figure out like, why would they make such comments? Okay. Awesome. Any other question? Zami? Yeah, if I were to question the, the text now, my question would be, um, what does Caesar represent now? Like to me, living in 2021 and where I am, my journey, what does Caesar represent to me? And what is that specific thing? Yeah, somebody asked, what is that specific thing that we give to God and we give to Caesar? Mm, awesome. Okay. I think the trap was, since he claimed to be the son of God, he will say, don't pay tax. Then they will say, this um, spicy, you write Nigerian movies. This is Nollywood right now. Then they will ask this, like, act two, scene one. <laughs> <laughs> then he's encouraging people not to pay that that way he can <laughs> I love it. You were in the meeting with them. Honestly, Honestly. I was. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Um thank you so much. Like these questions are I'm really, really excited. Um, I'm so so excited about you know the questions and everything that we're thinking about. And maybe for some of us, this is probably the first time you're interacting with this text like this. Literally, um, you know, like I said in the previous weeks we've been talking about you know questioning texts um questioning scriptures just questioning things that you don't understand and it literally comes from that heart of oh you know what i acknowledge that i might not know this thing as, as much as i thought i knew and so you know that just opens a doorway or like you know we said um in second week when you start asking questions then the school has started for you right so all these questions that we're asking now best believe that we're not just asking random questions but we're asking the teacher we're asking the spirit that is the teacher of the text and the one that gives life to the text so when we're looking at this text at the beginning you know we read the text we we, we went through everything um one thing that I would advise or I would suggest suggest that we do whenever we're studying text is to check out other translations so i think on this in the second week or third week second week actually we spoke about the various translations um you know the three major categories of translation so you have the formal translation the formal translation is when you have the thou shall does say it and what what examples are coming to mind right now when i say does say it thou goest thou climb it um what examples come to mind yeah, 
Yes, Shakespeare. Wow, done. Yeah, exactly. So you're thinking almighty KJV. So when you're thinking about, um, you know, formal translation, which is the first one. So you have formal translation. On the formal translation, you have KJV, you have NKJV. Most of this, um, you know, this category of translations, when you observe them, they seem to be very serious, very, it's like you're entering a boardroom, right? Um, and they try to be as very close to the original text as possible. Now, the second category you have, the second category you have, formal translation. The informal translation, you're probably already thinking, the love of God is like a warm blanket on a cool sunny day with cold coffee or warm coffee. What would you think of when you think about that? Richard, what? Amplified? What? Message. Message. <laughs> Message. You have even NLT that you just read, TPT, the, the love of the Lord comforts us, it warms us up, and it tells us to open our arms and just cry because crying is good. It's okay to let a little tear roll down. Your t- That's literally, you know, informal translations. They're very cozy, very warm, you know, and they try to be as contemporary as possible. Um, <laughs> and then the third category you have are the ones that they don't know. I don't know if I should sound like that go it and I should say wrap your hands around me at the same time. So if I say wrap your hands around me, then in bracket I'm going to say um comet, go it. That is climb it or yeah. Does any translation come to mind? Amplified. <laughs> Amplified. My God, Amplified can explain for Africa. Right. So the three categories of translations, the reason I, you know, always, always encourage people to use them is because it is very, very, very helpful in your study. So when you're doing a study and you're reading a particular text, it's so important to go through the other forms or the other categories of translations. So, for example, we just read from NLT, which I read from NLT. So we're going to look at what KJV said. Um you know, what KJV is saying or how KJV documents this. If you have Amplified, you can use your U version. So Amplified says, and they were looking for a way to seize him, but they were afraid of the crowd for they knew that he spoke this parable in reference to and as a charge against them. So they left him and went away. Then verse 13 says, some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus in order to trap him into making a statement that they could use against him. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and have no personal bias towards anyone, for you are not influenced by outward appearances or social status, but in truth, you teach the way of God. Is it lawful, according to Jewish law and tradition, <coughs> to pay the poll tax to Tiberius Caesar or not? Should we pay the tax or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, ask them, why are you testing me? Bring me a coin that is a denarius to look at. So they brought one. Then he asked them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And then Jesus said to them, pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they were greatly amazed at him. KJV says, and they sought to lay hold on him. But feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. And they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, 
For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it, and he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering unto them said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. So does anybody notice the differences in the translations and how they are presented? Yeah, I noticed. Okay. What what it reminded me of was how surprised I used to be when I would watch Bible movies, like Bible story movies, and they were not speaking in King James. Oh, (laughs) it used to be right. So they were they were false. (laughs) I was just wondering, like, why such informal language? Why such calm language? Are you not supposed to be saying the change it and the move it and the wow, really? everything else? Imagine if everybody spoke like that. Imagine, just imagine. Miriam, why thou it? I think it would be fun. It's actually pretty fun. It would sound like a joke. It would sound like a joke. Imagine if your mom was calling you and she was speaking that, she was saying that to you. Oh no, Esther, stop. No. I will connect down you now. So, just imagine that, you know. So, the various translations, it's so funny. In KJV, KJV is like, you know, give me a coin. And they talk about the tax. And amplified, you know, they say poll tax. So, they specify the particular tax. And then they talk about this coin being denarius. And then in amplified again, they actually separate or differentiate the Caesar. Because throughout history, there are different types of, there were different Caesars. So, they tell you this particular Caesar that is being spoken of, his name is Tiberius Caesar. So, when you're doing your research or when you're doing your study, you know that you're looking for Tiberius Caesar. And when you're also looking for the kind of coin that was asked or requested for by Jesus, you know that you're also looking at a denarius, right? So that's literally what the inform, I'm sorry, the balance translation helps you. You know, it kind of helps you paint things that you would typically not um, pay mind to. Um, you know, it just helps you to, it gives you a picture. So, you know, you know what you're looking for when you're doing when you're doing your study. Now, the second thing that you that would be very helpful when you're studying is to read the text aloud. And so I would encourage everybody to read the text aloud when you're doing your study. So you can first read it, you know, in your mind. You can skim through the text the first time. This is how you actually start to get questions from the text or you start to see things that not you do not notice at first glance. So you read it in your mind the first time. You can read it again, skim through it, read the entire text. So you might be reading um, from verse 12 to verse 17 and it makes sense, right? Because you probably heard of it before. But I would advise strongly to not ignore the verses that was before that and if you're reading from verse one of a chapter don't ignore the previous chapter before that chapter that you are studying so when you're doing um you know your personal study um read it first read it in your mind and then read it again right read it again and then when you read it again then you go to the text like go to the first verse so that you get a picture of what is going on because oftentimes we like to do all these things where you know, you just like half gist. As far as you're inside gist, uh, just tell me what is going on. Let me to laugh. Why are you laughing? Let me laugh too now. I'm here to laugh. You know, 
But that gist is not complete. You just met it halfway. Come and be giving your rubbish advice that we do not ask. They don't even ask for advice. Maybe they are just gisting. You just come and say, yeah, I think, I think so. I think that's the man. Who asked you? You know, but you don't actually know the full context because you did not start from the beginning. So it's very, very important that you start from the first verse. Um, don't just be taking things that are nice and feel good. It doesn't, it's not helpful. It's actually not helpful. Um, go to the very first, go to the beginning. I was going to say go to the first beginning. Go to the first verse of that chapter. And if you are starting in the verse one of a text, go to the previous chapter. And if you don't even go through the entire chapter, look at the last verse, the last verses, maybe the last five, six, four, three, or last verse in the previous chapter before, <laughs> before you actually start this new one that you are studying. It will give you a good, a good ground, you know, to begin, um, you know, it will give you a very, very, very good foundation um, to lay. And so when you do that, you now come to this text that you're reading and start to read it aloud. Honestly, this is the concept of meditation. So when you see meditation in scriptures, right, um, this is how the Jews meditated. Um, even till now, this is the concept of meditation, according to what we see in scriptures. It is to mutter a word over and over and over again. So imagine me reading this text, and I'm reading teacher they said we know how honest you are you're impartial and don't play favorites and i'm thinking about that you we know how impartial you are and you don't play favorites we know how impartial you are and i'm just thinking about that you know what's going to start happening is going to expand all of a sudden they are not just phrases to me but then it becomes this entire conversation i might even find myself contributing you know even asking questions so this is literally how you study it's really it's going to be really helpful um if you actually try it read the text go to the beginning read it again read the previous text at least the last verses in the previous text and then come back to what you're reading and then slowly read them read it read it over and over again mutter them read it aloud it's really, really amazing when you read text aloud. You know, that process is going to be very helpful when you're doing your study. Now, so now that we've said that, I want to ask us a question. When you're looking at what um, posture were they taking in the manner in which they asked their questions, what posture did they take? These were mischievous troublemakers now. They were looking for, like the text says, they were looking for any way and means to trap him. Like, yeah. okay, this guy has just been giving us, like, um, inciting the people against us, you know, trying to disrupt everything that we've built or we've worked on over these years, calling us liars in their presence and all that, you know, soon and very soon they will catch up to all what we've been doing, all our antics and all that. Mm-hmm. So we have to look for how to, you know, clip, when you say you nip it at the board, you know, or just silence this man, put him where he's supposed to be. We have the um, numbers, you know, and it's just him. How can just this one man be against all of us, Pharisees, Sadducees, every one of us? So it was like, see, we know this man. He has a like, he has a, um, a heart for the people. And there is nobody that will see what these Romans are doing to the people and will not feel for them and will not want to speak up. So let's see how we can get him to speak against the Romans so that we're not reporting to the Romans. And then when we're reporting to the Romans, you know, they will help us to do our job. And they were off the, then the people mm. will not blame us. 
you know, we'll be, you understand, we'll just be, we'll be clear, we'll be out of the way, you know, we can say, ah, it's not me, I didn't do anything, you know, and it's the romance, you know, we've always said the romance are the problem, the romance are the bad people here, you understand, so anyway, that's how I saw that scripture. The question, sarcasm, someone said mischief, I think they took the posture of humility, and seeing Jesus as all knowing, you know, where it was false. Yeah, false humility. False humility, correct. Yeah. Okay, now, scripture. <laughs> now, this is quite interesting, right? So, this is the Pharisees, and these are the Pharisees, and they are doing their thing. Can you see yourself in this text? Yes, a lot. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Rachel. Anybody else? Anybody yes. else ever been in this position? Very well. Yeah, yeah. Manipulative. Can you give an experience of when you were actually trying to ask God question, but in your heart of heart, you knew that I didn't manipulate you, Dar, Dar. God is love. He's going to love me all the time. Yeah. Um, who remembers? God, this is my, is this my husband? <laughs> I was just about to mention okay. that I get, I used to put up that skit of, no, go on. This is my husband. <laughs> this is my husband. That. I'm going to see for myself. That's a typical, that is just it. Someone said faith and religion and um, homosexuality. I live in Canada where people claim to be unreligious. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. There's a question I've been putting off asking God for like over a year because mm. I, I'm not sure I want to know what the answer is. Mm. I, I don't even know what I want. I don't know what I want it to be. So I don't know what I want the answer to be in the first place. So I don't want to mm. know what the answer is. So I'm not, mm. I'm just not asking. I'm just waiting to get ready mm. to ask. Mm. I mean, sometimes we'll go and ask God, you know, Father, I just, I, I don't know if this is the person you want me to be with, but he's really nice. Like he's really nice and he's really kind. And I know you love me and I know you want the best for me. Like I know that you're looking out for me and I know that you want me to be happy and this person makes me and God doesn't look you like this girl. You don't know say I old past you, you know? Or <laughs> you say, Oh, this girl, she's amazing, I really like her, you know, she's she's a good cook. And you know how I feel about good cooks and you know, God, she just takes care of me, she's she always shows up, you know, no girl has ever been there for me before and God, God is just like guy. Guy, I made you, I made men, so I know what, I know all these things that you're saying, you know? When, when people are looking at the, the Old Testament and then they see like, okay, maybe something happened, you know, and they, they ascribed it to God. So for example, when they'll say things like, um, you know, with Saul, the Lord sent an evil spirit to Saul. We actually oftentimes come to that text with a lot of manipulation, like God, are you not good? Where did this evil spirit come from? Or sometimes some people even tell the text, the person writing the text that you're lying. That's not my God. That's not my Jesus. That can't be my Jesus. My Jesus is good. My God is kind. My, my God does not, he doesn't do evil spirits. No, no, no. He don't do these things. And then you argue and argue and argue. And you're going there with your own bias. Even the questions you're asking God is not really to know what is actually happening. You just want, you went there with your own bias. It has to make sense and God has to give you an answer that makes sense, you know, or is alignment with what you've always known. And so oftentimes this is one of the hindrances with the text, you know. So I ask the question, do we see ourselves in the Pharisees? We said yes. Um, and thankfully for that, because that's one, that's a, that's one way questions are asked. And that's something that we need to address. 
you know, when we go with a manipulative heart posture towards, um, you know, to God, asking him questions to not necessarily find the truth, um, but we manipulate him so that he gives us what we want. Um, sometimes we even do what the Pharisees did. We go to God and say, God, I know you're kind, you're merciful, you're good, you're faithful. And we forget that God actually sees our hearts and he knows. And so, yeah, this is one way or this is one hindrance in Bible study that some of us actually experience. So now, how do we now study? Like, how would you ask these kind of questions when you're before Jesus? You know, some people said, um, why did they ask the question? That's a, that's a very fundamental question. Someone said, um, what belongs to God? That's another question. Somebody said, what does Caesar represent to me? Um, and what should I give to Caesar? And what should I give to God in this time? Um, somebody else asked the question, why did they think he would fall into the trap? Now, these questions, this is how you interact with the text. You don't just look at the text and assume you know. It's very important that you interact with the text. Ask questions based on what you're studying. And so when we're looking at this text, you look at the facts. The first thing, what did Jesus say that made the leaders so agitated? Another question that you probably notice is who were these religious leaders? Because it wasn't spoken of. And then at some point we see that the religious leaders sent the Pharisees. So obviously the Pharisees were not the religious leaders or they were different from the religious leaders. So who were these religious leaders, right? Another question that you ask is who are the Pharisees? We hear about the Pharisees. We even make reference to Pharisees. We even call people Pharisees, the Pharisee like you. But who is a Pharisee? What were they like? You know, what were the Pharisees like? What made them Pharisees? What made them different from the religious leaders? These are questions. These are, this is a way you start to interact with the text. And then the next thing you see is the Herodians. Who are they? Does this remind me of something? Does this remind me of someone? Does this have any relationship with Herod? You know, um, what exactly was going on here? What was the communication here when they were mentioned? Who are they? What do they do? Why are they different from the Pharisees? That's a question to ask. Then the trap, like someone said, you know, what is this trap? Why did they think that Jesus was going to enter or God? Jesus was going to fall into the trap. What exactly was the nature of this trap? What did it look like? So another thing is regarding the subject matter of taxes. Um, I'm just hoping that we're probably writing these things down or we're taking note of them. So on the subject matter of tax, right? What exactly was the conversation? Why did they see the need to bring in the Jewish law into the mix? These are now things that you start to ask. Who was Tiberius Caesar? Why did they have to pay tax to him? Was it significant that Jesus asked for a denarius, a coin? Was there any significance? What did it mean? What was inscribed on it? Why did he see the need to ask for it? Now you're interacting with the text as though you don't know it, right? Then... Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, what is Caesar's, and why is it Caesar's? And then give to God what is God. What is God's? What belongs to God? And why does it belong to God? And then finally, why did Jesus compare Caesar to God? Or why did he compare him with God or to God? What is the essence of that comparison? What was he trying to communicate to you or to us that we are? So do we see how these questions now opens a door for you to interact with the text? Do you see that? Yes. Okay. So you're seeing these questions. And Jenny, how, how, 
like how this now that you're asking these questions how does it make you feel do you feel what how does it make you feel let me not give options it makes me feel like there's a lot to learn it makes me mm-hmm. um, it really just takes away from the aperture that i've had earlier um that oh i know what this text mm. is about or is just about like what happened then it makes me want to know more mm. about it so anybody else um, so looking at the the number of questions you've asked, I mean, I, I, I don't even think that I would have asked the questions in this manner, but having to look at the questions um, like this, it makes me realize that for every time I had never thought about isolating religious leaders from Pharisees, and, you know, I used to just see Pharisee, Pharisee, mm-hmm. and, you know, just take it that oh, Pharisees, all these people, and imagine in my brain that there are these people that might have been wearing military uniform or something at that time, and they're just looking for how to capture mm-hmm. Jesus and all. And, you know, when you mm-hmm. ask the question, who are the Herodians, it started to now, like, trigger my thoughts to, oh, my God, could it be possible that these people now have a link back all the way to Herod? And he's linked to the generation mm-hmm. of Esau. And in this time, what would he even mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so it just makes you look like, okay, so even though I might have read this scripture mm-hmm. before, I really don't see anything here. I've never seen anything here because I've never really asked the questions that will open up or open me up to receiving what is in the scripture. Also, there is now this, you know, um, would I say like I'm mm. now very inquisitive to want to now know mm. the details of the scripture, not just because I want to know the details, but because I want to see in that time what you know what was in the mind of Jesus, being that he he would have seen through these things and then he understood the context in which this conversation was going on, and the writer also understood the context in which this conversation was going on. And so now I want mm. to see through the lenses of what's going on in that time and now, mm. you know, come to the level of appreciation of what Jesus actually said and the symbolism of why he was asked the question. Because for me, prior to now, it was just, Jesus is just one smartest guy. He just knows the right mm. answer to give anybody at, at the right time. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, actually, this, this really opens up my heart to wanting to see so much more in here. Thank you. Mm, yeah. yeah, thank you. So, you know, we're asking these questions now. We're starting from the very beginning. Why was Jesus, why were they riled up? Because Jesus gives a parable, and this parable that Jesus shares, right, it's not even just a parable, it's actually in scriptures, and one is in the book of the, it's in the book of the prophets, in the book of Isaiah, you know, where Isaiah describes Jerusalem as a vineyard and how he has sent shepherds there. And, you know, basically like these people became irresponsible in the vineyard and, you know, they began to abuse the privilege that God gave to them. Interestingly, when they hear Jesus talking about this parable, they actually realize that this is actually gotten from the books of the prophets, the book of prophet Isaiah. And they knew that the people that God had handed over his people to were the religious leaders. They knew, right? They knew that they were the ones that God had handed over his people to, and they knew that they had become irresponsible. Remember, this was a time when they were making trade in the, in the synagogue, 
um, and which is quite interesting because when you're looking at the trade in the synagogue, what they were selling were not even things that were not needed. They were selling things that were needed in the synagogue for the offerings, um, the lamb, the animals, you know, that they used during the feast, all these things. And what was happening at the time was that they inflated the prices. And guess who was selling the, the things in the synagogue? The, the priests, the religious leaders, they were selling things in the synagogue, the people that were supposed to be trusted by the people, the people that were supposed to be trusted by the Jews were actually betraying them. They were abusing their trust. So you can imagine what became of these people during like major feasts, like maybe Rosh Hashanah or Pentecost, when they had people from different parts of the East coming to the nation and coming to the, coming to Jerusalem, you know, um, for the feast to celebrate. Imagine how much money they made. The leaders were actually abusing the offices and the, you know, the responsibilities that God gives them. And that was one of many things that they were doing, you know, um, looking for rewards for themselves, affiliating with the, with the, with the political leaders, you know, for their own selfish interests. So a lot of things were going on, um, you know, that was literally a taboo before God. And so when they heard Jesus, not just speaking a parable, but actually taking a parable from the book of Isaiah, which was clearly written to the leaders or clearly written for the leaders, you know, at the time. So on hearing that to us that are maybe outsiders that have no, you know, understanding or have no familiarity with, you know, with the Torah, hearing that kind of thing is actually like, ah, you know, this is a parable. But for these religious leaders, because they had spent years and years and years and years in the Torah, studying the Torah, reading the Torah, you know, they were, they could, they could recognize certain things when, when they were said. So this is why they were riled up. And it's terrible. It's a terrible thing when you're called out. How do I explain it? It's a terrible thing when you have a posture of pride and then you are called out on something. You know, you would actually be more offended than um, eager to listen to whatever the person has to say. So we see that with the, with the, with the Pharisees, their heart posture was already pride. It was already, you know, full of pride. And so anything that Jesus was going to say was going to offend them as opposed to bring them to repentance. Um, so that's the, the opening of this story. You know, Jesus says something and he, he, he exposes something that has been happening. And as opposed to, um, repenting, you know, what they, what they responded with was offense. That starts to open you up to the mind frame that these people were in when they started this whole right? So it's in verse 12, it says the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. Now, who are the religious leaders? When you look historically, you see that the religious leaders were like the priests, you know, and Caiaphas was a religious leader. You had the council of the Sahendrins. You know, you had these people that were actually stewards and custodians of the Torah. They were custodians of the prophecies. They were custodians of everything that had been happening with the Jews for years, you know, right from when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. So these people, as from one generation to the other, they were entrusted with this, um, you know, with this tax, you know, guiding the people spiritually or providing or guiding them, you know, um, or being in charge of the spiritual atmosphere, the, the feasts, the, they were the ones that, you know, were in charge of the feast. They were the ones that were in the temple. So you start to see how this, first of all, gives you like a foundational 
you know, introduction into the system, you know, that is the the Jews, of which Jesus was a Jew, right? So it introduces you to the system at the time. Now, the next thing that says is the religious leaders. So this starts with the religious leaders, which is quite interesting. You're the one that is in charge of the spiritual atmosphere, the spiritual temperature, the spiritual temperament of the Jews. But you're the one that has the most misunderstanding. In fact, the need or the quest for vengeance, right, is first up from them. Yeah, and the Pharisees started to exist at maybe like the second century or something. I can't remember. But I know like it took a while before that started to form. And this was after from Babylon. So yeah, that started to form. But up until that time, the system was the priests, the prophets, and the kings. So these were the people that constituted, you know, both the political and the religious atmosphere of Israel. Now, as they started to come back, you know, even the system of the synagogue was something that was gotten from Babylon. It wasn't really something that, you know, they always had. If you check the Old Testament, they only spoke about assembly and the tabernacle, but they never really spoke about the synagogue. The synagogue was something that came up upon their, um, you know, return from Babylon. So it started to form a system. Right. So this hatred starts off with the religious leaders. And then in the next verse, which we start from, which is verse 13, we now see that the later, the, 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 the leaders or the religious leaders sent some Pharisees and Herodians. And remember, we asked the question, who are the Pharisees? Who are the Herodians? Now, the Pharisees were not priests. The Pharisees were not, you know, um, they were not priests, right? But they were religious, influential people. So in our time, you look at the Pharisees as um, Christian influencers, right? Um, you know, they were religious, influential people amongst the Jews. They were Jews. They were ardent, um, you know, they were ardent followers of the Torah, the teachings of the ones that actually followed the written Torah because the Torah or the commandments were divided into two. So you have the written Torah, which is the written commands or the written teachings and the spoken teachings, right? Even in our time, we have that as well. So you have the written teachings that provide foundation for the um, spoken teachings. So, for example, you have the written teachings like... um you know, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. These things were documented. And then even in the written teachings, you now have the laws of Moses. Some of the laws of Moses, you see it in Leviticus 12 and 13, was what we read yesterday. And when we're talking, when Moses was talking about a woman that just had a child, should not be in the synagogue. A woman that just dies in a period should not be in synagogue, she should not be taught, she should not come into close proximity of Moses from the law of God. Was that the law of Moses actually were, um, they're like rules and regulations, right? They were regulations that came to you, you know, um, 
con- not controlling, but as a measure of guiding into, um, you know, in living with one another. So there are things that were said that were gotten from health reasons. Some things were gotten from, you know, um, you know, communal reasons. Some things were gotten from just, you know, empath. So some of these laws that Moses gave, you know, were not necessarily laws that were directly given by God, but they were laws that Moses gave for a form of regulation amongst the people. Does that make sense? Is anybody here? Yes, it makes sense. Yeah, we we're here and it makes sense. No one's here. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I guess there's a lag. So so yeah, we have that with the fires. We have that with you the laws of Moses. So now, the third part of the laws were the spoken laws. This is, um, okay, sorry. So, um, you know, so these were so these were um you know um these were things that um were taught from they were taught sorry from one decide from a teacher to his disciples so they were not necessarily written in books they were not necessarily given in public it wasn't necessarily public knowledge for some of them and then there were some that were passed on from father to child you know from from parents to children so yeah the laws were actually divided into these three so you had the laws of god you had the laws of moses and then you had the the, the spoken law um, and of which some of the laws that were actually formulated at some point were now laws that were passed on by the religious leaders um, at the time. One of which was um, people should wash their hands, you know, before eating. That wasn't really a law that was given by God, but then it was a law that was given from health, you know, just health. It's just healthy, you know, to do that. So when we talk about the Pharisees, the, what separated the Pharisees from the others was that the Pharisees did not only believe in the written law, the Pharisees also believed in the spoken law. They believed and practiced both the written and the spoken law. The Pharisees also believed in the resurrection after the death and after and after death, right? They believed in resurrection. Um, the Pharisees also believed that God could inspire and God can inspire the interpretation of texts, which is quite interesting. You know, they believe that, so they, they believe in, you know, the divine inspiration or in divine interpretation of texts. So when you see the Pharisees, you know, you see them as religious influencers, you see them as people that believed in both the oral and the written Torah. They were practic, they practiced it 
ardently they were given to it. You know, it was like a sect, basically. They were given to it. Their teachings and interpretations, they believed they were divinely inspired, right? So they were not necessarily ignorant. Um, but what was interesting about the Pharisees was that they are started to exalt themselves in their pride above every other person or above every other sect or above every other teacher. If it didn't come from them, it was not the truth. If it didn't come from their mouth, you know, it shouldn't be listened to. They believe that their words were yes and amen. So that's for the Pharisees. And the, another interesting thing about Pharisees is that Pharisees were not just spiritually involved in things they were also politically involved right but we would say they were more spiritually involved or religiously involved than spiritually and than really and politically involved so that's the pharisees so we now come to the erodians erodians were followers of herod and it was very political very, very political. But you know when you try to mix politics with religion, but politics is more of the emphasis than religion, right? That was the Herodians. They were followers of Herods. Um, imagine or think about Herodians as a political party, right, that has spirituality in the mix. That's literally how they were. And interestingly, one interesting thing about Herodians was some of them were followers of some of them were Jews. And if you remember, Herod was not necessarily a Jew, right? Um, so they had this system that were, that they now made open to both Jews and Romans. And so you had some of the Greeks that were actually Herodians and you had some of the Jews that were Herodians. And that was a very risky thing because at the time, Jews did not, they did not they did not want to mix with the Greeks. They didn't want to mix with the Romans because they believed they were oppressed. They believed they were oppressed by them. They were actually, you know, they were not chosen by God. They believed that they were the chosen ones, you know. There were so many things that were happening with the tax, with the laws that were passed, with the gods that they brought into the land. You know, there was idolatry. There were all these things that were happening. So literally, the Jews and the Romans and the Greeks, they did not want to mix in any way. It was so much that they did not speak the language of the Greeks. You know, um, even at the time, it was recorded that the Jews would actually kill Jews that spoke Greek language or that spoke Greek, you know, they didn't want to do anything or have anything to do with them. They dressed like the Greeks. Um, no, sorry, they tried, they, they separated their dressings from the way the Greeks dressed. The language was also different. All these things were happening, right? Um, so it was a lot of syncretism. When you think of the Herodians, you, there's a lot of syncretism that was going, that was happening there. Um, you know, being followers of Herod. And if you start to trace it to the beginning of Jesus's life, one of the people that was mentioned was Herod. Um, you know, you had Herod that was trying to kill Jesus when he was born. And right here in this text, they are talking about the Herodians that were seeking to arrest him. And if they had arrested Jesus, he would have, he would have accused of treason. And you know, at the time with the system, committing treason was calling for death. So we can say that the long and short of what these people were trying to do was to kill Jesus. So we see Herod appearing again at, at the beginning, and now we see Herodians coming here, trying to take the life of Jesus. And now 
this is where it actually gets really interesting. The Pharisees, we see them coming from the religious side, and then we see the Herodians coming from the political side. And so you now see a blend of politics and religion. That's a terrible mix to trap anybody with. Because if the person speaks against the system, in quotes, religiously, the system can accuse him of treason. So the only way they knew that they could get Jesus or they expected that they could get Jesus was to trap him with a religious question that was going to be against the laws of the land. And at that time, the person that was leading or the person or the, the system that was ruling was the Greek or the Roman, the Roman government or the Roman Empire. So the, the, the spiritual, the religious leaders, they knew that they on their own. And if you even start to see this thing, you see it even in the death of Jesus, the way Jesus was killed. You know, they say, oh, are you the king of the Jews? Remember that they knew that what Jesus was saying was both, you know, it was a spiritual reality. But see how they twisted it. They now twisted it and made it look like a political agenda. So what they were projecting was that this guy is actually fighting against the system or the Roman Empire, or the Roman system, right? So the religious leaders knew that, uh, on our own, we can't really kill this guy. But what are we going to use? We need some politics involved somehow, because the system will easily catch him, or the system will easily take him, or the system will easily kill him. The system has legal backing to kill anybody that goes against the system. So for the person that was asking the question, why did they ask Jesus this question and how did they know to come through this route? It was basically the religious and the political factors that were involved in this whole process or in this whole game. So we can move on, right? So the next thing is they come to Jesus and they say, teacher, we know that you're not biased. Why did they start with this thing? Anybody that, you know, I don't know if we know or we have those friends that always take pride in being blunt. Do we have anybody like that? You take pride in being blunt. You say, ah, no, everybody knows me. I'll say my mind. I'll say my mind. If nobody wants to say it, everybody knows that I'll say my mind. Everybody knows that me. Once I come into the picture like this, I'll just give you, I'll give you. Everybody will be looking at your face. I'll give it to you. When people want to trap you, do you know how they'll trap you? You say, ah, come now, um, Osareme, come. You're very blunt. You're a very direct person. And I really, really appreciate your opinion. So I want you to judge this matter. I want you to, I want you to look at this thing very well. Okay. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, feel free. Oh, speak your mind. Say your mind. I just want you to say your mind right now. Don't be afraid. Nothing is going to happen. Any, you see, let me tell you, it's the wisdom of God that was at, at play there because when politics and religion comes to you, if you don't have wisdom, you just don't open your mouth, you enter trouble. And so Jesus was no fool to actually see what was going on. Why didn't the Pharisees come to me separately, knowing the disparity between the Pharisees and the Greeks? Like, I know, I know that these people are acquainted or familiar or, you know, um, they don't want to be seen with these people publicly. And so you people come together. To meet me to ask the question, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. And then you didn't even allow me to be flattered on my own. You started by flattering me. 
by saying that ah, we know that you are not biased and you speak the truth and you don't answer to anybody but God. So now tell us. That's literally how they came to him, right? They came to him with that thing. Tell us the truth. Tell us your mind. We want to know your mind about this particular situation. And it's you we are asking because we know that you are straightforward. We know that you will not lie. We know that, you know, you will give it to us. You will give it straight. You will say it from your mind. That's why they came to him. And so see how Jesus responds to them. He saw through their hypocrisy. First of all, Jews and Greeks together. That's a big question. Second of all, Pharisees and Herodians together. That's a bigger question. Then number three, you even now come and tell me that I am like this. The same thing that you people have been speaking against since, you know, I became public about my teachings. You never liked when I speak the truth. So how is it that all of a sudden you are so impressed and enamored by how direct I am? How How is that working? How, please? Enlighten me. In fact, I feel like, you know, that that's probably the first question. Like, can you, this friendship, when did it start? You know? So they come to Jesus and they ask him this thing. And so Jesus sees through their hypocrisy. Jesus knows that on a normal day, this is not a good relationship. And he sees what they were trying to do. So I, I hope that we're seeing all the factors that are playing out here. And so the next thing that Jesus does it's quite interesting. He asks for, he's asking them for a denarius. If you notice, Jesus doesn't ask the crowd for the denarius. He's asking the Pharisees that came to trap him for denarius at the time because the Pharisees were so, in quotes, spiritually, you know, floating. They were not supposed to be with, with the denarius being that it belonged to Caesar. It wasn't something that they were supposed to be with. It wasn't something that they were even supposed to keep in their garments. It wasn't something that they were supposed to hold. And so the first test that Jesus gave to them was to ask them, was to put them inside their own trap by asking them for a denarius. The denarius was owned by the Romans. The denarius was owned by Caesar. It was a means of exchange. And the Pharisees that wanted so badly to follow the laws of Moses, they knew better. They knew what that meant. And let me tell you something interesting again. The denarius had an engraving of Caesar. If you go back to the book of Exodus, remember the engraved or the, the um, engraving image that God asked them not to bow to. Okay? So now, Holding a graven image or even taking a graven image in your garment or any of those things was as good as idolatry. So let's even start with that. You want to come at me with your religious stuff? I can do this all day. And so they bring a denarius to Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, whose superscription is on this coin? And a superscription, you know, a superscription is not a writing. A superscription is like an, is like when an object comes out from another object, right? It's like molding something on top of something. So what this is, is you are talking to me about tax. Now let's start with what is in your pocket. Let's start with that. Let's, can we do that? 
Okay, now, can you give me a, 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 a coin? And he gives them a coin. And that's why he asks them, whose image is on this coin? It's like, <laughs> who is the owner of this property right now? Whose face is on this thing? So this belongs to Caesar. Because this is an idol, idol, right? This is idolatry. This is as good as Egypt. Because when you're in Egypt, everything that you owned was, was Pharaoh. You know, the, the images, the statues, the means of exchange, everything was Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to elevate himself as a god. And this was what Caesar was also doing, right? He had presented himself as a god. And so at the time, when the, um, you know, the, the, the generals and the leaders, you know, captured a particular, um, you know, um, city or local area or all of those things, you know, they tried to put things, um, you know, their images just to remind them, you know, who the, who the, in quotes, who the God was. And so if you follow, if you follow the, the history, you see that there was always this contention with the, with the religious leaders, you know, um, fighting against, um, Caesar's image being erected anywhere around the synagogue or even anywhere around the religious sites. So it was a struggle, you know, that was happening. And so one of the ways that, um, you know, the leaders or the men who, um, prove that they had captured a place was to engrave their stamp or their seals or their faces upon any of those things. You know, yeah, exactly. To show who was, you know, in charge, who had authority over those places. So when they bring out the denarius or when they bring out the coin and he asks them that question, you can imagine the expression of the crowd. Imagine, hey! Pharisee, uncle, wow, look at your life, you know. You can imagine the shock, first of all, that was happening in the mix. And so Jesus asks them, whose face is on this thing? They say Caesar's. And then he says, give, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And why did this thing belong to Caesar? Caesar has enthroned himself as the God. Caesar has made him known that he was in charge. He was one with the authority. You know, Caesar had projected this image, this thing, this idea into people's minds. So imagine, <laughs> but that is literally what it was. The means of exchange had to be sealed by Caesar. Caesar had the legal authority over the land. And so when Caesar put his seal on anything, what he was saying is, I am owner. So that's why Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then he brings it to God, give to God what is God's. Now, what belongs to God? If a coin that carries the image and seal and likeness of Caesar belongs to Caesar, I'm going to ask you this question, what belongs to God? Oh, boy. <laughs> Absolutely, because you carry it plus us and the scissor and the coin. Everything. <laughs> and the you understand? So what Jesus was saying is, Omo, this thing is for Caesar. Give Caesar. Don't be attached. Don't idolize. Don't put this thing above anything. Just give Caesar what is for Caesar, and don't attach yourself in such a um, an unhealthy way. Your business, what God is looking for, is to give you yourself to Him. Because guess what? You carry his seal. He has engraved his image on you. You carry his essence and you belong to him. So it's like somebody is like he was even, he, I wanted to say it's like he was scolding them, but he was scolding them. That's basically what he was there. That's what he was doing. Give Caesar's property to Caesar. Give God 
his property, which is yourself. And if you go down that text, you will now see Jesus having a conversation with the scribe when he says, love the Lord with your heart, your soul, your mind, and love the Lord and love thy neighbor as yourself. Now, that loving God with your mind, your heart, your soul, and everything, right, is literally God, Jesus Christ, emphasizing what he told them here. Give to God what is God. Give God your heart, your soul, your mind, your breath, your essence, everything. So you see the wisdom here? <laughs> now that I have you here, I'm going to tell you what has always been. Let me tell you what is really on my mind. Your business is to give God your life. And that's why he says they were completely marveled at his response. So much wisdom. And this wisdom was actually concealed in the context. Just understanding what Jesus was saying to them and why he asked for the things that he was asking for. Does that make sense? Do we have questions, thoughts, comments? Please, how, how can I get Jesus type the brain? Because I need for school right now. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm following you now. Um, please hook me up with the social media handles. I'll follow you straight up. <laughs> by following you. It's by following you now. <laughs> you know? So do we, is that, is that making sense? Is that processing? Is that all right? And see how, like, you know, the questions that you start asking at the beginning, they start to point you to all these things, you know. They start to point you to all these things, point you to things that you typically not make and um, typically not notice. So the next verse we're going to read, and we'll just go straight to it, right? 